Is that a is that a uh, game time voice level? I mean, I tend to get a little more excited as the plays get more exciting. So I don't see why a regular voice wouldn't work. And then sometimes a louder voice may be the one that pops up during a play. Football fans, it's now time for the D3Football.com Around the Nation podcast. Here are your hosts, Pat Coleman and Keith McMillan. Hello and welcome to the D3Football.com Around the Nation podcast. Podcast number 232 comes to you semi-live from a hotel room in Shenandoah, Texas. That is where we are as we get you ready for Stag Bowl 46. Stag Bowl 46. The Stag Bowl and the year and, and my birth year are all lined up. So I get to remind myself that I turned 46 in uh, a week. So we have here a uh, cornucopia. Basically, everybody who's been on the podcast this season is here in the room with us. So I'm Pat Coleman. We're joined by Keith McMillan, Frank Rossi, and Greg Thomas. Although I should let you introduce yourselves in the style of my choosing. Introduce yourself as if a Texas Stadium public address announcer. I'm Keith McMillan. Howdy, y'all. Greg Thomas. Hey, y'all. Frank Rossi here. All right. Part of the point of that, I guess, was to have everybody at the home remember what these guys sound like so when they speak. But uh, I guess that's, that's not going to work, so that is just fine. But uh, we are, of course, getting ready for Stag Bowl 46, which takes place on Friday night at 6 p.m. Central Time, 7 p.m. Eastern, between the University of Mountain Union and the University of Mary Hardin Baylor. Guys, one of the things we want to talk about on this podcast is uh, we get you ready not only for the game coverage, but our pregame show is what has changed since pod 231. Uh, there are a couple of developments, and uh, I think we should go down to the sideline guy for this. Frank, tell us a little bit about uh, what are the things that we need to know. Pat, it's not 25 degrees out this time, and uh, it's going to be pretty darn good at 46 with the possibility of showers. Uh, the one thing we should uh, be paying attention to, though, is the injury bug, I think, overall. Uh, Denarian Thomas, uh, we're hearing a possibility of him not playing. Uh, Jared Ruth on uh, my union side, he comes to media day on Wednesday, but uh, is he playing is another question. It sounds like he wants to is the way he phrased it, but that didn't sell me necessarily that he is. And so that leads to a lot of questions as to what we saw last week. Uh, you know, Jace Hammock struggling at times uh, with his shoulder injury and whatnot. I, I, I don't know what it all means in the grand scheme of things, but we have some pred predictions, I think, as to what it could mean for both teams. I'm willing to go as far as to say that uh, Denarian Thomas is not that it's, he's likely not to play. We are, I think we are, have been told that he is not going to play. So let's talk about a little bit about what this Wildcat or different package is because they need to have somebody else play quarterback because Jace Hammock just can't go the full nine. Well, it could be the Josie Cat uh, in this case. Uh, Josie and the Pussycats, was that the old one? Uh, yep, there we go. You don't have to say the drops out loud. I uh, will just put them in. I didn't know if you caught it or not. Uh, but <laughs> So it could be the Josie Cat. What's new, Pussycat? And if it is that, it's going to be kind of reminiscent of what he did a couple of years ago. Uh, you know, remember last, uh, Carl last Robinson? Year. Yeah, last year, Carl Robinson uh, didn't settle in as quarterback until later in the season. They lost one of their best receivers by putting him behind center uh, in TJ uh, Josie in that situation. This year, they've had him as receiver. And even if his numbers weren't great in the game, that's one more weapon that they would have to guard out there in the field in the secondary. Keith, remember last year, of course, Josie did play a little quarterback in the Stag Bowl, and I can't say that it went very well. 
no, nothing went well offensively for, for either team last season. And the defenses are so good this year that we may see a repeat of that to some degree. Final score last year, 12-0, Mount Union won. Both defenses were dominant coming in. Both defenses are dominant coming in this year. But you see the extra wrinkle with Mount Union also having this direct snap package. Theirs goes to running back Josh Petroselli. So we haven't, we haven't seen the, the throwing um, wrinkle in that. Yeah. Whereas um, Mary Harden Baylor, when they had Denarian Thomas back there, and because TJ Josie has history as a quarterback, you feel like when they run their, uh, their direct snap package, um, that, that the pass could be an option. But really the point of it is for both teams, get the ball in the hands of one of your best athletes, one of your best ball carriers, add the extra blocker, right? Because you're eliminating, as Vince Karras said in the previous podcast, you're eliminating the person who, who hands the ball off. And that means you have an extra blocker at the point of attack. So not going to be a lot of trickery in this game. I don't think be, because these two teams are familiar with each other, I don't think there's going to be a lot new that they haven't seen before. It's really going to be both teams trying to line up and, and, say you know we're we're tougher we're better we can beat you and it may get Greg you tell me if I'm wrong here it it may get a little ugly offensively it may be ugly I mean these are these are two very very suffocating defenses Um, the offenses have been off and on in the in the tournament so uh, now they're playing against the best defenses that they're going to play against all year you know, they're scuffling a little bit. They're kind of getting through it. We may see some, uh, some difficulty moving the ball on offense. And something I've thought about, uh, also these teams have played each other now three years in a row. They're getting very, very familiar with one another. Who is going to throw in a wrinkle? Maybe, maybe we see Petroselli throw it this time. And is, you know, is Mary Harden-Baylor going to bite on it and leave a guy uncovered? Um, it, it may come down to, an unseen wrinkle like that, uh, that that creates a big play for one team and, and creates some separation. Well, both these defenses do, do such a good job of creating big plays with turnovers. You know, a lot of times they're, they're suffocating defenses, and that means the opposition can't run, the opposition can't throw. But these two defenses create turnovers, set their offenses up with short fields. They score points. Mount Union famously, we've now talked about this, there are 15 touchdowns this season. They scored twice last week to help beat Johns Hopkins to get to the Stag Bowl. The turnovers on offense for Mountain Union were a concern. D'Angelo Fulford, three interceptions, all of those probably on ill-advised throws. Also got the ball poked out from behind one time when he was scrambling. That one you you probably don't um, fault him as much for, but that was a scoop and score for Johns Hopkins. And that right now is, is the big difference. If you look at Jace Hammock, even if he's limited, his numbers last week, 14 of 19, one interception. Uh, he didn't throw an interception the week before against St. John. So Mary Harden Baylor has done a better job limiting the turnovers. And Mount Union really needs those turnovers to get on the board because they've struggled a little bit offensively. Well, we've talked a little bit, of course, over the course of the season about Jace Hammock being limited. Frank, tell us a little bit more about what exactly we're talking about at this point. Well, uh, indications are it could be rotator cuff, which means uh, if there's a tear in it, that's something that's not going to repair very easily if you keep throwing with it. I'm sure they're shooting him up with cortisone before games or whatnot to uh, get that pain to go away. But obviously, cortisone doesn't last forever, and I'm not sure if they can reapply it really at halftime. So it's one of those situations where they want to use him as long as far as they can and also have, as uh, you know, we say, the pitch count reduced uh, in this situation for him so that he doesn't do further damage and can last the four quarters of the game as a pocket passer. Keith, have you ever had a cortisone shot? No. Um, 
I was also the guy who never wanted to go to the trainer because the trainer's job <laughs> is to get you healthy and they're going to be cautious and try to hold you out two to three weeks. And everybody on both of these rosters wants to play in in this game Friday night. They're, anything they can do to get on the field, whatever fib they can tell, say I'm fine, I don't feel it, whatever, they're going to want to play. And, and, and I know I don't want to put words in guys' mouths. It's not um, – Certainly not always the players' call. Sometimes it's the it's the coaching staff or the medical staff's call. But all those guys who are battling injuries from Cole Moxie to Jared Ruth to Jace Hammock to to Darian Thomas. They all want to play tomorrow. Whether they all will is is something we'll be watching in, in the pregame. Oh, uh, Frank is the one who's been here the longest of us. He got in here on uh, well, got into Texas on Tuesday. So I can only assume since you've spent so much time at the stadium that you have watched both teams practice. So tell us a little bit about how the teams have practiced here at Wood Forest Bank Stadium. It's like watching uh, paint dry. I, I, I'll leave that open for a second there so you can all think about what the heck I'm saying, but it really was watching paint dry. They couldn't practice on the field. Not a game, not a game, not a game. We're talking about practice. Uh, apparently the center emblem, for one thing, had to be redone, and then that was on Wednesday. On Thursday, uh, because of some rain that occurred Wednesday night, they needed to touch some things up in it. Uh, stencils didn't arrive for the Mount Union name, and I believe that is the north end zone. And so it, it is, uh, trust me, because we're in the okay. south. It's not ours. Uh, the north end zone uh, is Mount Union, and uh, currently uh, only the word union is painted fully in. Hey, that's great. But who are the chefs? They've got the outline for Mount. So th I, I, even uh, the sports information director for Mount Union uh, came upstairs thinking they had practice today, Lenny Reich, and we had to break the news to him. Lenny, I think your practice is going to be back at the high school. It was at yesterday, and sure enough, it was. It, so they have not gotten the practice on the actual Stag Bowl field by the end of Thursday. And this is part of the deal with moving the Stag Bowl from a place that's familiar with hosting it, that has all the infrastructure and, and work orders and all that stuff in place, right? Salem had been hosting it since 1993. The NCAA decided to, to move it around a little bit. On one hand, for the folks in Texas and for the Mary Harden Baylor fans, especially those ones who couldn't travel to Virginia for the past two stag bowls. This is an opportunity for them to make the three-hour drive or for wherever they live. But, but if you're from campus, three hours from Central Texas to Houston, which is uh, in the lower eastern part of Texas near Louisiana for the geographically challenged. Uh, and, and we are um, about 30 minutes north of Houston here in the Woodlands or Shenandoah. But I also think there's a there's now a little bit to you know we kind of made fun of this on Monday about how the Mount Union folks were uh, weren't so thrilled that they were playing what is essentially a road game because Mary Harden Baylor doesn't have to get on a plane Mount Union has to get on a plane Mount Union has finals this week Mary Harden Baylor's already done and now you got this Mary Harden I mean Mount Union having to move its practices so whether that matters when the first whistles blown balls kicked off may not matter very much. But it's the type of thing that w when a team that is maybe looking for reasons to, to say it's us against the world, you know, that may be something they can latch on to. Just to correct one thing, both teams were scheduled to be on uh, the Stag Bowl field, so they've both been relocated. This, is, this isn't some conspiracy against Mount Union. I just want to be clear about that. Thanks for the clarification. Uh, it's, it's just interesting to me. Yeah, exactly everything that Keith said about how, you know, this is something that would not happen when you've hosted it for multiple years in a row. And, you know, when we knew that 
A, it was going to come here for two years, and B, it was then going to go somewhere else for two years. We knew that it was going to be like year one is going to be kind of a shakedown cruise, and then you've got one chance to do it right, and then it moves. So if this is the worst thing that happens, which, you know, who knows? There could be worse things that happen. It's not so bad so far. I believe, though, that we're going to see four-year bidding cycles for at least this game come up after this as a result. Oh, no doubt. Well, it was... It w- my theory is it was always going to be this way. It was always going to. It was. It wanted to be four years. They just couldn't guarantee that the Canton Stadium was going to be ready this fall. It turned out it was, but the NCAA didn't want to take a chance on it. That's my take on it. Well, the great thing about it, though, being here in Texas, is when when I got off the plane on Thursday, and you guys tell me what your experience was, but I felt like I was in Florida. I had to immediately change into a short sleeve shirt. Stupid me wore a you know zip up light jacket thinking okay the game forecast is like in the 40s so it might be a little breezy maybe rainy and I should have something like that with me got off and it was 70 degrees so if the stag bowl had been played today we'd all been thrilled about the uh, the weather here in Texas yeah that's I in my experience was the same I came from the same same area. As you did, Keith, and, you know, I was bundled up when I got out here, and I had to rapidly unbundle when I got off the plane. It was uh, balmy, warm, and, uh, you know, we spent some time out at the stadium this afternoon, and it's warm out there as well. Now, tomorrow it's going to cool off, so coats probably probably uh, required, but, um, you know, over, overall, uh, yeah, weather looks nice for this, uh, for this stag bowl. I was just happy to have a little humidity. Yeah, I, I think, to go back to what Greg said, the type of weather that won't, negatively affect the game, which we've had at times in Salem, and, and whether it's wind or snow or precipitation, all those things can change the way the game is played. Now, both of these teams, I think, are built to withstand any kind of, any kind of weird wackiness anyway, so it, it won't necessarily make this a less exciting game, no matter what the weather is. All you have to do is mention to somebody the weather at last year's Stag Bowl. Just start talking about it. Anybody that knew about that game, they start laughing at you about it. Uh, it they feel that that really did affect things last year. At field level, I can tell you, I think it did. It, it, what, what it most did last year for Mary Harden-Baylor was stop the line of communication. They needed to go to Carl Robinson to calm him down. He was always looking for the, a heater. Uh, along with the rest of the players, but nobody was there talking to him because they didn't know where to find him necessarily. And he's over there in the corner, just kind of huddled over and looking a little lost because remember, we didn't say it earlier, TJ Josie went down three plays into the game for that team and uh, never would return because of the injury that he sustained in that. It's a good time to point out that the D3Football.com Around the Nation podcast is currently sponsored by... Well, nobody. I mean, we're like all in a hotel. We're in the same hotel. They didn't give us any money. And, you know, we're going to go have dinner somewhere. But, you know, nothing like that either. So we are available for sponsorship. And you can do that by contacting d3football.com at pat.coleman at d3sports.com. If you were doing that, you would have a whole cornucopia, a cavalcade of people here willing to spiel for your product or your service. Because, you know, we got four people here right now. What better way to get your endorsement for something that a football coach needs like you know there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of big money items there's a lot of smaller items as we are speaking 248 division three football coaches are in their off season two of them will be coming up on saturday so when they're talking about planning their budget for 2019 2020 thinking of the things that need to be done over the summer you could be reaching them right now with your message on the d3football.com around the nation podcast I'm just happy you did that without any script whatsoever in front of you. I always thought you had to have that right in front of you, and you just spitballed the whole thing. Well, you know, what I usually do is I have a script that 
says some of those things, but I just kind of go off of it because we've had like no sponsors for many of the most recent podcasts. Yeah, so. let's talk about it some more. Let's tell everyone. <laughs> Is that? Are you saying we should uh, not mention that we're available, or should we do it differently? I prefer when you phrase it as available for sponsorship. <laughs> Duly noted. And we're back. And what are we talking about next? You want to send it to an interview with a player? Let's send it to an interview with a player. So, Frank, why don't you set us up? We had a, a you had a conversation and an opportunity to sit down with a couple of the players. One uh, key guy on each side who we're going to use in this podcast, and some others who will be in our pregame show on Friday afternoon. Yeah, I think the thing to watch here uh, compared to last year's Stag Bowl at the end of the day is offense of Mary Harden-Baylor versus defense of Mount Union. And that's the two interviews we're going to be looking at here. Why don't we first go to, uh, we talked about him enough uh, at the top of this, TJ Josie, who got injured very early in the game in 2017, Stag Bowl 45. And uh, he opens up about his own feelings about his performance and what happened uh, throughout that game and his feelings about maybe even letting the team down. We'll let him speak for himself on this. TJ, I was going to try to talk to you last week, actually, and then a funny thing happened. You got four finals <laughs> yeah. and graduation and a football game of some sort. Yeah. I mean, take me through that last week. Uh, you know, how did you, you know, mentally prepare for everything that was coming at you? Uh, it was a, a very tough week. Uh, it was probably one of the, the toughest weeks I've had throughout my college career. But, uh, I mean, it was a lot of highs in that game. I mean, that week, uh, I mean, I graduated. So it's something, something that I always dreamed of. And my had my family surprise me with it because I found out we were walking on Tuesday that uh, they were actually doing it. And then actually to have, to have a, a, such a big game and a team that we've never beaten in the program's history. Uh, I mean, just coming into the week, I just... I mean, I'm I'm always been a, a very prepared guy, so it, it wasn't like it wasn't too challenging, but it was, it was very different. This week's got to be easy in comparison, right? <laughs> I mean, it's just that Mount Union team, <laughs> but obviously that's a team that last year you faced, but got hurt early in that game. Yeah. Uh, that really changed the offensive playbook. It seemed like, especially Carl, struggle to get his confidence once you went down in that mm -hmm. game. Take me through your emotions. You know, as that game progressed, you're still on the field, still on the sideline yeah. during it and getting another chance right now. What does that mean to you? Oh, it means a lot. Uh, my teammates have been joking with me all, all week, saying I should, I need to make sure I drink milk and make sure I do all this and make sure I can I can play more than three plays this week. <laughs> but, I mean, it means a lot because uh, it, it, it really hurt knowing that uh, I kind of let, I felt like I let the seniors down last year and not being able out there, uh, being out there and being able to play. But, uh, I mean, it, it really means a lot because especially this would be my last one. So I just, just want to make sure that I can, I can help impact the team as much as I can. I, the inside scoop I had uh, coming into the season was that you were like the welcome wagon of welcome wagons to the quarterbacks coming in because mm -hmm. your speed, your ability to catch the ball was something that in some of the roles that you had to play previous mm -hmm. weren't, let's say, focused on as much as maybe you wanted or others wanted to see. Uh, you got to have some real pocket passers uh, this year, throw the ball to you, Denirian obviously threw, threw in a little bit of a mixture yeah. too. but. How did it feel to be able to not think about those other aspects of offense as much throughout the season and just be, you know, basically a receiver and a supporter of these new quarterbacks that came in? Uh, I think the biggest thing was the offseason. Uh, last year I was having to focus on playing quarterback and playing receiver, so I'd have to one day work at quarterback, next day work at receiver. But uh, I think this whole offseason it was nice because I was able to work on the things that I knew I needed to work on. And then, uh, I mean, bringing in guys like Luke and Jace, uh, being able to work out with them and, and kind of 
teaching them the offense at first and then giving it to them and, and them uh, teaching me what, what they wanted and how they wanted things handled. Uh, it was nice. It, it, was re it was really nice. The playoff run was obviously a tough one in your side of the bracket because there were less upsets yeah. along the way. Uh, that happens. It's a bracket like March Madness. But mm -hmm. do you think your team gained from having such a tough road in the four weeks that led up to this? Oh, yeah, for sure. Uh, I mean, there's always that that, that that notion of playing down to, to competition. But, uh, I mean, we're playing tough teams every week. And uh, we started off tough with Harden-Simmons. Uh, played played a, a very good Barry team, and then we all—I mean—we came out clicking against them, and then playing at a very, very tough St. John's team, and uh, and just coming out, and then playing that Whitewater team was very tough. But uh, I mean, we do—I don't—we don't really look at it as like uh, they're trying to—they're trying to get us out. We're playing tough teams every week. I mean, we we enjoy it. We we like to show that we that we're a dominant team. I mean, you can't be—you can't be the best if you can't beat them. So. What's your relationship with uh, Coach Fredenberg? Uh, what, what, you know, I, I always hear he's a player's coach, he's a player's coach. I've gotten to know him over the years, but from a player's perspective like yours over the four years, give me uh, your view on what makes him such a good coach. He just cares about his players. Uh, I, just, I mean, he, he's, a, he's a great, great football coach, but uh, the biggest thing is uh, how, how much he cares about us outside of football. And uh, I mean, he makes sure, he makes sure it's everything, everything like we're, we're okay and we're becoming better men besides just great football players. And I think that's the biggest thing. I mean, that's my guy. I love him to death. And uh, I, I couldn't imagine playing for anybody else. TJ got a big game coming up on Friday, a little bit warmer than it was last year. <laughs> I'm sure, sure uh, you're going to look forward to that fact. <laughs> for sure. And uh, playing in Texas, how does that feel? Oh, it's, it's nice. Uh, my family doesn't live too far from here, so it's kind of nice to to kind of get them out the house and, and bring them up here to watch a game on Friday. A whole lot of family going on these uh, <laughs> two weeks. If you get sick of you or vice versa, I don't know. But uh, you'll never get sick of holding Walnut and Bronze, and that might happen on Friday for you guys, so good luck to you. Thank you. He's definitely had a busy uh, couple of weeks, but there's one thing about T.J. Josie from everybody I've talked to. He's been waiting to get another chance at this game, and here it is, Greg. Yeah, and he may be you know, pressed into action at a couple of different positions, wide receiver and quarterback with Denarian Thomas being uh, iffy or out. And, you know, uh, TJ Josie has played the Wildcat in the past with uh, Mary Harden Baylor. Uh, you know, he did for a snap or two uh, in last year's game. If they can go to him, he's got experience doing it. Now he hasn't done it this year. Rolling it out there fresh. So fresh against you know the number one or number two defense in division three is will be interesting but he's not going in there cold uh, it's not just wildcat of course he played plain old quarterback well i also think that mary harden baylor has this, these several players that they'd like to get the uh the ball in their hands a little more often so for for the crusaders this is actually an opportunity to do that with tj josie they'd love to get janelle reed and K.J. Miller and Aaron Sims the touches as many as they can because as we saw on Saturday against UW-Whitewater, when Aaron Sims touches it, explosive things can happen. And uh, that's really where Mary Harden-Baylor has one of its, uh, its best advantages. Why not put Markeith Miller in a direct snap situation, though, and add a blocker for him ultimately? Well, and I could also see them maybe direct snapping to uh, some of those guys that they send in motion from a receiver. That's a, you know, a, a, a Willamette sweep style, fly sweep style setup, too. Yeah, they, they use plays. They use jet sweepish plays against uh, Whitewater a couple of times. I think part of the answer to that question is because you can keep uh, Markeith Miller in the backfield, and then the defense has to respect the, uh, the, the handoff to him. 
And and Chase Hammock handing it off to Markeith Miller doesn't impact his shoulder. You you don't you're not using up. However, if you think that Hammock can only throw it thirty times and can only play fifty snaps, I don't think that that uh, just handing it off has an issue there. I, I also think the the advantage is if Mary Harden Baylor keeps the game close or if they're ahead, they want to be conservative in terms of turnovers because this Mount Union defense they just generate turnovers. Um, like mad. They've got a lot of talent in the defensive backfield. They've got linebackers that are active, and then the defensive line, they rotate guys in. So not only are they big, quick off the line, they're also fresh because they're using Nate Brunson, and they're, they're bringing in um, you know reinforcements in the defensive backfield. So this defense is fast, generate turnovers, and they'll stay fresh because they use 16 or 18 guys. I think, I, I think one thing that... Uh, you don't want to do with Markeith Miller and Jace Hammock. Uh, you take Jace Hammock out of the game and just direct snap to Markeith Miller. Part of Jace Hammock's game, maybe the best part of his game, is his deep ball. And if you take him out of the game, you condense the field and you take away the opportunity for play action or any of that. But if you keep Jace Hammock in the game with John L. Reed and a, a Miller or two on the outside, it's Miller time. Uh, you know, Mary, even Mountain Union has to respect that and. and clear out of the box a little bit for Markeith Miller. That's a great point, though, because Johns Hopkins had guys running open in the, uh, in the secondary in the semifinal round. And uh, part of that was because Johns Hopkins wide receivers were, were pretty good. Ryan Hubley and, and Luke McFadden are great players. Uh, David Tamaro did a good job of throwing some balls over the shoulder that were sort of only my guy can catch it kind of balls. But I think Mary Harden Baylor wants to take a few shots, same as, as Mountain Union's offense will want to do too, especially if, if it gets Jared Ruth back. But even if it doesn't, Justin Hill is that kind of player where you want, even if you get into a conservative game plan, you're going to want to take a couple shots because wide receiver is so talented. Well, we talked just a little bit just right there. So let's expand on the Mountain Union offense a little bit more. Uh, without Ruth in the game, you know, Fulford did not look very good over the course of the last couple of weeks. A combination, whether it is, whatever it is, of of Fulford being hurt, of not having all of his weapons. It just looks like he is not uh, playing at his best right now. And so let, why don't we spend a few minutes talking about that? Nobody's making excuses for his ankle uh, in terms of the Mount Union folks. Vince Karras on Monday and when I talked to him on Wednesday again, uh, pretty much didn't deny the idea that it was just a bum game uh, by D'Angelo in terms of decision-making but that he's able to shake those things off ultimately. And look, he has won a stag bowl. He knows how to win big games. The stats don't always tell the whole story of what he can add to the situation, but clearly on Saturday, he was not having a good game with the decision-making he was making. Took him out of uh, field goal possibilities at least twice, uh, I can remember. And, I mean, they could have put away that game, I think, a lot e earlier or a lot more easily if he made more sound decisions than that. Yeah, and I don't even know if it's a bum game because he had uh, some really key runs in the first half when, uh, when, when offense was slow going. So you had um, a 28-yard scramble that he made. He threw touchdown pass very early on to, uh, to Justin Hill, threw another touchdown pass on a 5-for-5 five five drive in the third quarter. So there were points where he was good. But Frank is totally right in that he made bad decisions on all three of the interceptions. That's the optimistic view for, for a Purple Raiders fan is – Glad you got that out of your system last week. Now you know the defense are super talented at this level. You're not going to be able to throw balls past guys that you necessarily can, can get, by, get away with in the middle of the season. Decisions got to be crisp. 
they got to be immediate. And if it's not there, you got to tuck it and run. You may have to um, eat it, take a sack. You know, you really don't have to do that during the season, especially because he doesn't see very much pressure. So I think uh, I think hit, the way he plays is going to be a big storyline in the towards the outcome of this game. Yeah, and it, in the fourth quarter of the semifinal game, uh, Vince Karras took Fulford off the field for basically the duration of the fourth quarter. And something uh, that Kevin Neas uh, talked about on Monday's podcast is that Mount Union ran their offense in the second half kind of to survive that game. And, you know, the good news is that they did survive it. They won the game. Whatever Fulford did last week is over and done. It's a new week. Everything starts fresh uh, on Friday night. So, you know, we'll see what happens. He's got a chance to, uh, you know, atone for for what everybody has described as, as an off game for him. But let's go back a year. It was Salem, 2017. It was cold. And... He only threw for 137 yards, I think it was, 42 of which came on a double coverage touchdown that caromed off of the hands of Mary Harden Baylor's players down there. Justin Hill, a mighty job to uh, draw that in to get that touchdown, the only touchdown scored in the game. He didn't have a great stag bowl against Mary Harden Baylor last year. Do they just take the same blueprint defensively they used against him last year, especially if Ruth isn't playing? And remember, Ruth did get hurt late in that game uh, last year, if I remember correctly. Uh, so it, it, I, I just feel like you go more of the same with him if you're Mary Harden Bailey. You already know kind of how to shut him down. Just don't let a ball go off your hands this time, and you could win the game. You know, I don't know. I don't know if there's a, a way to to shut D'Angelo Fulford down necessarily because what he brings with the ability to scramble and to be mobile on the read option plays is something that your defense can keep bottled up nine times and then the tenth time it can hurt you for thirty yards. So um, they they certainly make passing tough for every quarterback, even um, our Gallardi Trophy finalist. Um, Jackson Erdman, is that who we're talking yes. about? Yes. Okay. Even, I don't know which one of the four we were talking about. Well, I'm saying even he had a um, had a tough game against the Mary Harden Baylor defense. The numbers ended up being good, but the turnovers were there, and and so it's going to be tough sledding. And really, what you want to see from Fulford and from Hammock on the other side is, if you have a stretch of the game where you have to punt a couple times, and this is not common to either of these teams because offensively they're two of the best teams in the country, you want to see the poise. And I think I I, I bet you Vince Karras would take okay numbers from, from his quarterback if the turnovers aren't there. I think we talk so much about defense, running, running the ball, not turning it over, being Mary Harden Baylor's bag, being Whitewater's bag. This Mountain Union team is built that way as well. They are built to play great defense, to, to, to generate turnovers, and if they have to win a 15-12 game or a 17-13, they can do that if they eliminate the turnovers. You know, I think from Mary Harden Baylor's perspective, if they can keep Fulford from running all over the place, if they can keep him in the pocket, keep him from scrambling around and keep him away from a game where he does something like 12 rushes for 90 yards or something like that, I think they would love to have him stand in the pocket and throw it down the field because he will he will throw 50-50 balls. Like, he has the confidence to do it, but... We've seen, you know, last week and, and in some other cases uh, during these playoffs that, that he can get in trouble that way. And Mary Harden Baylor has the, you know, the, the people in the back four there to, to really make that pay. 
Well, and this is what if you get if you can do that to D'Angelo Fulford, then you have taken away from D'Angelo Fulford everything that D'Angelo Fulford is best at. This is the reason why they went with Fulford at quarterback rather than Poorman when they had the opportunity back in 2017, right? It's because they want the guy in the game who is going to be able to win the game with his feet and is more of an athlete and is going to be able to create because that's the kind of thing that they felt they needed to do to win the Stag Bowl. And in all honesty, the previous 14 games don't really matter so much as long as he can win them this game. We've got, a, we've got one more interview. Let's switch over to the Mountain Union defense. And uh, Frank, why don't you tell us what we're going to hear? A Glardy Trophy semifinalist, Danny Robinson, uh, talks about what they need to do here against a new-look offense of Mary Harden-Baylor. First off, how did it feel to get named as uh, one of the best players in the country this year, Danny? Uh, it was really an honor. Uh, I want to thank uh, Coach Karras and Lenny for nominating me for that. Uh, there's so many people on our roster that uh, would have been good for that award and would have made runs in that award. Lou Barry, Jared Ruth, D'Angelo, uh, Justin Hill, Josh Petroselli. Uh, there's, those guys have, have had great seasons this season. Uh, so it's, it's an honor that I was up for that award. Um, there's a lot of athletes in the nation that are up for that award. So it was uh, just really a humbling experience to be a semifinalist for that. Your name came up a lot in last week's game uh, against Johns Hopkins. Defense had an interesting game flow in that game. Johns Hopkins uh, seemed to struggle in the first half, started to get their groove in the second half. Take me through that game flow a little bit and your responsibilities as that game progressed. Um, I think everybody knows that they had weapons on their offense. They had a great quarterback, great running back, uh, two or three great receivers. Uh, so we came into the game plan and we were excited. We wanted to face a challenge like that. And, um, defensively, I think we needed to kind of prove something, come out and execute, um, kind of shut them down. I think we did a good job of that. Um, and I, think, I don't think their playmakers made um, as many plays as they've made in the past. Uh, I think we kind of limited them to uh, kind of just kind of trying to chop it down the field. And, uh, so I think we kind of stopped that and kind of limited their offense because they were a high-powered offense. I think they had the uh, number one offense in the nation as far as statistics went. So. Uh, we were kind of glad with that outcome. So you come into this game now, obviously memories of last year against uh, Mary Harden Baylor, uh, tough team. Uh, they've re re-geared themselves a little bit offensively. From what you've seen, what has changed with that team offensively from last year to this year? Um, I think they're really similar to last year. As far as uh, this week, it's uh, we got to win one game. So these first 14 weeks kind of mean nothing to us. Uh, Everybody has to show up and play well for one game. Offense has to play well for one game. Defense has to play well for one game. And uh, definitely special teams has to play well for one game. So uh, that's really our main focus coming into this week is it uh, doesn't matter. 14 weeks, what they've done, what we've done, uh, as long as we come in and execute, I think we have a great chance of uh, coming out on top. So... Uh you know, one of the things that uh, people pinpoint uh, in your position especially is the challenge can be sometimes with a quarterback of proficiency, uh, proficient skill. Uh, last year with Carl Robinson, obviously, uh, who was more of the mobile guy. This year looks like Jace Hammock uh, in the backfield. Does that change the defensive uh, approach at all when you have more of a th uh, throwing uh, quarterback for you? Is it a tougher thing for you to, from your position to uh, defend against? Um, I don't think it's tougher. I think it's different. Um, kind of with a less mobile quarterback and the pocket passer, you, uh, kind of gives the, the front guys a little bit more freedom to kind of hit different moves, and you don't have to really be concerned with 
the cage too much. Um, but uh, our approach is really similar. Uh, we got to get after the passer, and we have to kind of lock up their receivers. And I think our great game plan is great for that. Um, I think we need to definitely get pressure on him to kind of get him out of his comfort zone. So um, I think our game plan is kind of centered around that and centered around uh, just stopping their, their quick guys on the outside and uh, kind of shutting that down early. Does your team feel like the underdog here at all? Um, no, I don't think like we should. Uh, we won it last year, and we won 14 games this year. So uh, I think we're coming in with confidence. Uh, we're not treating this as we're an underdog because uh, kind of we, we expect to win every game coming into the season. Uh, it's the expectation here at my unit championship or bust. Um, so uh, it, as far as underdog, I don't think I don't think that's the case. Well, we'll see what happens on Friday. Obviously, congratulations on all your personal success and team success throughout the season, sir. Appreciate it. Thank you. I asked both Robinson and uh, Coach Karras, uh, you'll hear that on Friday during some of our pregame show stuff, uh, about this whole perception of being an underdog. And I wouldn't say they're put off by the question, but they seem a little legitimately surprised it's coming at them where they have to kind of hesitate and answer it uh, as we don't really think about it that way, that stuff, Greg. And, uh, you know, I, I wonder if they won't start to play it that way as we get closer to the game. You know, you see you see things like this from teams all the time where they will find like the nobody believed in us kind of thing to rally around and use as motivation. Um, it, certainly Mount Union and their decades of success, they don't they're not in that position very often. And oftentimes it's really far fetched for them to even grasp at that. But I mean, two years ago in this in the semifinal, they were certainly underdogs at Mary Harden Baylor and they lost that game. Um, I, last year's game, I think most of us thought Mountain Union was, was probably favored to win that game. This year seems to be a fairly even split. Maybe, maybe people are leaning toward Mary Harden Baylor and, you know, sort of the, the road that they've been through to get to this point. Uh, so, you, you know, it's, it, it's not something that Mountain Union's players and coaches probably think about or get asked about a lot for sure, but, if it's something that they can latch onto and use as motivation and, you know, prove everybody else wrong, why not? I was just going to say, quick hits favored, uh, favored Mountain Union last year by a score of five to three, or, or by five picks to three is what I was trying to say. Yeah, for Mountain Union, they're the defending national champion. They're 14-0. and 0. They're number one in the poll, 20 votes to five for Mary Harden-Baylor. It, it's very hard to envision them as an underdog, and yet there will be some people on Friday morning who pick Mary Harden-Baylor to win this game. The, the road Mary Harden-Baylor's taken, as you mentioned, they had to beat seventh-ranked team in the first round. They beat, they crushed Berry 75-9 in round two without Chase Hammock, beat St. John's, a third-ranked team in the poll in, in the quarterfinals, beat the fifth-ranked team in the poll in, um, in UW-Whitewater last Saturday. Mountain Union side, they, they're the highest-ranked team they've had to go through was was Johns Hopkins number 13. And Hopkins will finish the season probably in the top five, so there'll be some rejiggering. We learned a lot about the way the top 10 looks uh, in the first few rounds of the playoffs with the, with the upsets of John Carroll and, uh, and Trine and Delaware Valley and other places, so maybe that's more top 15. But there's no question that Mary Harden-Baylor's had the harder road, but I, I feel like all that stuff goes out the window when you get to Friday night. Uh, Stat Boy is going to say that Johns Hopkins was 14, and I'll let you finish. Thank you. I'm, I'm, so, I'm sure the readers are so appreciative that you 
stopped my train of thought. Forget it, he's rolling. I'm so sorry, I thought you were done. No, I'm just kidding. Continue. It's fine. It's fine. No, I just think it, it on Friday night, a lot of that goes out the window. It's a one-game season, and that's super cliche. But at this level, right, Mary Harden Baylor hasn't – as good of the teams they faced, they may not have faced anyone as, as fast and as defensively opportunistic as Mountain Union. Certainly, Mountain Union hasn't played anyone uh, Mary Harden Baylor's caliber. So – it, whatever happened before, history, all that stuff, it's, it's great leading up to the game, and it's in players' minds, it's in coaches' minds, it's certainly in fans' minds. It's not like we're talking about this stuff in a frivolous way, but once the game starts, it's really about the X's and O's, who's healthy, who executes better, and maybe, simple as this, maybe who, who causes a couple of those turnovers. The Jimmy the Greek in me, though, would tell you that a home field advantage obviously lends to points uh, and the perception that a team is going to get some drive off of it. And we've learned, uh, as uh, we're recording this Thursday, we've learned that the Mary Harden Baylor side of the field is completely sold out uh, at this point. And I'm sure we're not going to be able to say that about the Mount Union side of the field. It's uh, what, 9,700 seats, even if it's in balance, it's what, worst case, probably 5,500, 4,200 in terms of uh, the seating on each side. So that should tell you that this is a home game in a lot of ways for Mary Harden Baylor, and that if they're close on paper, that little bit of an advantage that the home t- field gives you and the home crowd gives you might tip the scales a little bit. Frank, your inner Jimmy the Greek is not very far from the surface, just for the record. It's also Italian. (laughs) I know, but you know, Italians and Greeks, man, it is like, there's not a lot of difference there. The, uh, where was I going to go with this? This is a, uh, let's talk about the, the fact that there could be a packed house. That is the thing that I've been most looking forward to, the possibility that we might have a goodly number of people here to see this game on Friday. Is goodly a word? Yeah, it's not, I used it poorly, but it's, it's a word. Okay. Um. I mean, I think that's something that we've all wanted in, in previous stag bowls. And sometimes, you know, it's just tough to get from Wisconsin to Virginia, to get from Oregon to Virginia, to get from Minnesota to Virginia. It's easy to get from Texas to Texas. Well, right? uh, I mean, not the whole time, but yeah, it's not easy to get here from El Paso, but that's go on. That's true. It can be done, though. In, in any case, yeah, there should be a pretty packed house. Um, whether or not those, those folks favor Mount Union, there are a lot of D3 fans not from Alliance, Ohio, but around the country who will kind of bring up this thing about how Mountain Union continuously earns home field advantage and doesn't have to go on the road very often in the playoffs, and although this has happened uh, at times. If if it's a quasi-road game for them, well, good. If you're the best team in the country and you're playing the number two team in the country, you win that game. I I really think, uh, you know, as a... former player, you, you think about this stuff sometimes during the week, and then you really do put it out of your head when, once the game starts. I think when people are complaining, they're not complaining about Mount Union having earned it. That's the word that, I, of course, they have earned it, but that's that they don't think so. But I, I put that in there because I didn't want to discuss it in, uh, in, in those terms. I think that it, it's plenty fair for uh, the defending champion year after year to play all their, their games at home. If there isn't a John Hausman drop in that, I'm going to be very disappointed in you. Judge John, Judge John Hodgman? No, they earned <coughs> it. Oh, dear. Is that the H&R Block? Uh, EF, uh, <coughs> I can't remember. We'll find it. Uh, uh, yeah, we'll see. Frank got the oldest references. No, Jimmy the Greek John hasn't Hausman. been relevant since like 87. <laughs> I haven't been relevant since 2007. What do you e- want? EF Hutton? <laughs> Uh, all right, so we have um, between now and game time, of course, you will find, of course, this podcast. If you are listening to it, I'm going to assume that you found it. We'll also have our quick hits. Quick hits are supposed to go up 
on a Thursday night. So if we have everybody's prediction in, then that will happen. This podcast goes live Friday morning. We go to the stadium sometime on Friday. And uh, Frank, tell us a little bit about uh, what we'll see, including uh, this sit-down interview, which you had, which we haven't really talked about yet. Uh, we're going to start up at 4 o'clock. Originally, we were advertising it as 4.30, but uh, because of some logistics and uh, some of the content we have, we're going to start at 4 o'clock Central Time. I don't know who was advertising that. that I'm in charge of I advertising. Did. Well, oh. I, 4 o'clock, man. We need two hours. This is the Super Bowl. This is the Stag Bowl. Yeah. This is the Super Bowl of Division Three football. We need two hours of It starts with S five letters, but it's Stag, not Super. What's on the show? Yeah, there's going to be lots of stuff on the show. There's going to be uh, interviews uh, with uh, players and uh, coaches uh, from both teams. Uh, we'll be running that throughout. There will be All-America announcements uh, toward the end of the show. And uh, we will also have a special guest or two. We can't name names quite yet because we have locked them down. But uh, Efforting. Two... <laughs> Two uh, hours, that's a lot of content, but we've got it all accounted for. But you brought up the uh, Tevin Jones interview, uh, former linebacker from Mary Harden-Baylor. A lot of people know that he left the team in late August of this year, uh, was arrested actually in Austin, and uh, some uh, stuff had happened in that situation where uh, he says he had one drink and uh, basically had things just go the wrong way all night with a complete adjustment in his attitude, and uh, things went down. And uh, when Coach Fredenberg found out about it, he said, that's not the Tevin I know. Uh, you need to take accountability. You need to do the right things here. And he took it the wrong way initially and actually kept going down the wrong trail until finally his family asked him to seek help. He did, and he's made amends to a certain degree with Coach Fredenberg. And the uh, interview, I'm not going to give it all away right now, is a question of, you know, will he get back to Mary Harden Baylor next year for his last year of eligibility as uh, he was a beast on the field last year in All-America and just an overall very mature guy from what I got when I sat down with him on Tuesday night when I first got to Texas. I uh, popped up to Belton. You know, it's interesting. He was a Belton High School uh, player, which is right next door to Mary Harden Baylor. I mean, it's kind of a lifer uh, scenario in uh, Belton. He still wants to go back. He was toying with the idea of maybe going elsewhere, but with one year of eligibility left, he wants to make things right at that school and for his career and to get that degree. So let's see what happens with him. But the whole interview is going to be on the pregame show. Yep, so you can see that. You watch it on our pregame show, which starts at 4 p.m. Central, 5 p.m. Eastern time on Friday, leading us up to Stag Bowl 46. We will have, of course, our uh, All-America announcement, uh, as we have every year since 1999. That's been part of our Stag Bowl broadcast. And then uh, Keith and I will be calling the game with Frank on the sidelines. And Frank wants to say something else. Gallardi. Yeah, we'll, and we'll, do, uh, we'll introduce, we'll announce who the Gallardi Trophy winner is. We, we, uh, that is because we did not have a Gallardi Trophy ceremony here in Texas, we are going to do it ourselves. I can, I'll write it and we'll do it live. It won't be uh, with four finalists and it will be a grand total of about five minutes. But we'll give you the first announcement of who the Gordy Trophy winner is. And then that person will be uh, introduced with a uh, trophy ceremony and a banquet of some sort, presumably on his campus, probably sometime in January. More details about that to come, but we'll tell you on Friday afternoon who the winner is going to be. It's 10 hours and 58 minutes, by the way, from... Uh, from El Paso to Houston, and uh, uh, which is basically the same distance as Atlanta. 
And it'll be the same like this podcast if we don't close it soon. <laughs> Is there anything else that we need to say? I think it's going to be a really good game. It, it may not look pretty at times. For those of you who don't appreciate fine defensive performances, tackling and uh, blitzing and sacking quarterbacks, if you guys aren't into all that, turnovers, that's fine. If you just want to see you know, guys run past people wide open, this stag bowl may not be the game for you, but if you want to see something competitive, uh, you want to see a program that's been in the Stag Bowl three years in a row against a program that's been in virtually every Stag Bowl since 1993. I think it's two of the best. It's the two best teams Division Three has to offer. It, it should be close. It should be competitive. And if we're lucky, we'll get an exciting finish. Greg, final thoughts? Yeah, I think, you know, despite despite the grumblings of that we heard about the bracket and the different sides and whether they're fair or not, miles. we ended up, uh, again, with the two best teams in the division. And, you know, f- for me, they look even more evenly matched, if it's possible, than they were last year. And I think we're going to get a, a fantastic game. I uh, think you're going to see two very tight offenses in the first half, to be honest with you, because this mental chess match that's been going on for a year, not just for the last week, is going to lend to that. Uh, the conservatism that we know of, at UMHB, and some of the questions of, you know, how is Fulford going to respond from last Saturday's game against Johns Hopkins? Uh, I think it's just going to be a very tight first half, and I think you're going to see the floodgates open on scoring. I actually think you'll see the offices finally catch fire in the second half. It will be in the 20s uh, score-wise. At least one of the teams will get to the 20s in this game, I think. And look at what's on the line. If, if Mary Harden Baylor wins, that's two championships in the past three seasons. Maybe they're the new dominant program in D3. Mount Union wins. That's two straight championships. And then you'll be bringing the quarterback back for a senior year going for a three-peat. Yeah, whether they're the new 1 or 1A one or 1B, we're in a position where with the right win or with the right competitive game on Friday, we're back to the position where we really truly can say we have two purple powers that are going to go head-to-head in any given season. And toe-to-toe. And elbow-to-elbow. Cheek-to-cheek. Cheek to Cheek is a totally different thing. And this was D3Football.com Around the Nation podcast number 232, season 12, episode 33, released on December 14th, 2018. Thanks for listening and tune into the rest of our coverage throughout Friday. We will have a lot of coverage on Friday. If you like this podcast, please consider rating it at Apple Podcasts or Google Podcasts or Stitcher or Spotify or the place where the podcasts come from because that is how you help other football fans find this podcast and you make us happy too. Ratings and reviews are pretty cool. You can also leave comments for us on the blog page. You can reach out to us in Twitter and we can uh, talk about that uh, at, uh, using the D3FB hashtag. I'm at D3Football. Keith is at D3Keith. Rossi, here, here, Frank Rossi is at, at Frank Rossi. And Greg Thomas is at Wally Wabash, so all four of us on Twitter. Uh, we have a message board devoted to Division Three Sports. Did you know? Join the conversation by registering a post at D3Boards.com. Also, you can follow D3Football.com on Facebook. The executive producer of the Around the Nation podcast is Pat Coleman. Production assistance provided by Dave McHugh by Long Long Remote here this Stag Bowl weekend. Our theme music is by DJ Mentos, whom you can find at DJMentos.com. Thanks to our guests, TJ Josie and Danny Robinson, for their time on this edition of our show. And, of course, thanks to the creator of Around the Nation on D3Football.com and my co-host, Keith McMillan. So I think we've kind of set the record for the fewest uh, edit points in any given podcast. I'm liking this. It's a good day for this. I right, bring it in. Yes, do you want to, uh, Do I have to do play by play of the selfie? I hope not. Can I do it in a square? You think we can all fit in a square? I don't, I don't, I'm pretty don't square think so. already. Uh, yeah. Uh.
don't know how we're gonna get it on. <laughs> Are you ready? <laughs> yeah. One, two. All right. We'll see us. We'll see us tomorrow night. Thank you. Thank you so much, everybody.